0: Hi, thanks so much for joining me again for AlderPod, the Aldersgate Cycle Podcast. Today's episode is number 26, chapter 23 of the Aldersgate, Betrayal in the Key of G. I don't know how this works, thought Emery. Doesn't matter. Just let me through. How... How do I do that? Sing the notes, you know them. They dance through that brain of yours day in and day out. I know. I can hear them. That's why you're never quite rid of me. Emory took a deep breath, stilled his mind. He had never conjured the notes on purpose, and finding them was surprisingly difficult. It was the slight modulation, the way the note bent just so at the end. Concentrating. He hummed the notes to the chord. Each note lingered strangely like an echo sustained just around him until he could hear them all vibrate together as one. The shimmer appeared then before him, a darker spot in the blackness of the room, shifting and moving, then choosing a form, an enticingly beautiful female form, all curves and arcs. She, for the moment that's how he thought of the figment, stretched out black arms high above her head, and more of her became clear. Her perimeter sparkled slightly, as if the blackness of her body was outlined in starlight. There was the suggestion of a face, full lips, and eyes. But she was not truly human. She was a living shadow of a human in glittering three-dimension. Now we have two choices, said the figment. I can help you open the door, or we can have the girl do it. The girl, Emery thought. No, we can't do that. Consider this, Emery Roy. Consider the hope they have in her. Consider the sounds in their voices when they spoke of a summoner or speaker of old coming to them. If you let me enter into her, they'll just think it was something she was able to do again. They won't suspect you of anything. But I could tell them. I could tell them that it was me, and they'll wonder why you lied in the first place. I only lied because I didn't know didn't you? Damn the figment. Emry hated her already. He felt like throwing up. How could he turn Cora over to her so casually? Before, he hadn't even had a choice. It had happened without his knowledge, and when he discovered the truth, he'd been horrified. It was bad enough that this figment was torturing him, but couldn't it just leave Cora alone? What did it want from him, anyway? I don't want anything, really. Soon I'll be strong enough to manage without you. But in the meantime. I can help you get out of here. He couldn't think of another option. His mind had gone blank. Emory already suspected Ez didn't trust him, and he couldn't read Jem to save his life. She was impassable as marble. So, what else would he do? What are you? Emory asked. The figment shimmered slightly as if laughing with its entire what was the word it had used? Ethereal self. I'm just someone. Someone who's been around a very long time and who has been waiting to stretch their legs a bit. I'm going crazy, Emory thought. That's all. I've just lost my mind. If you're so convinced you're losing your mind, then send me to the girl. I'll free you, and you can thank me later. So at last he consented, and with his approval he felt his entire body stiffen once again he had no ability to move but his eyes were open and as accustomed to the dark as he was he looked around everyone was still asleep but cora shifted in his arms he felt the pressure but could not hold her back the figment had been there one moment and was gone the next and cora was rising her eyes were still closed but her hands reached out before her cora went to the door she splayed her fingers over the strange lock mechanism, and at first nothing happened. Emory could hear everything, though—the horses nickering, the wind blowing outside, the rustling of leaves, and far, far away, something like hooves beating the earth. "'They're coming,' whispered the figment. It was the smell that made Emory panic—the smell of burning flesh. He looked over to see Cora's hands glowing faintly red, the mechanism turning molten between her fingers— but he could not move. Again, he was paralyzed. Then a crash like a thunderclap, and Cora fell, and everything around him animated again. He could move again, but Professor was shrieking. Aunt C tripped and nearly fell into her. There was shouting from somewhere else in the compound, but not far away to have been in response to the situation currently unfolding before Emory. Stumbling, Emory rushed to Cora's side, and she was sobbing, holding her hands before her. They were blistered and burned. He couldn't tell to what extent. He began to cry, but she continued to scream. What's going on? A shout from outside, then a whoomp. Cora, what? started Emory. The thud of hooves grew louder, closer. Gunshots, very close. Two. They're here. I'm gone, whispered the figment. Emory winced. Everything moved too fast, the sounds everywhere, everything closing in on him. There were people outside, shuffling, punching, shouting. She opened the door, he said, between tears, as Professor kindled the lantern, risking the light. It was dark on the other side, but the shadows moved. Gunfire brought the stables to life for a brief second, and Emory caught glimpses of men fighting outside. Was it the figment? Was she saving them somehow? God's... Aunt C said. She squinted down at Cora. Gods, what did she do? What we told her to do, Professor said, accusingly. Cora was still whimpering and muttering incoherently, writhing in Emery's arms from the pain. The light from the lantern revealed the extent of her injuries. The burns were red as blood, speckled with yellow and white, but not quite black. It was bad, but with a little care from a physic, if they found one— Cora broke from Emery quite suddenly, shoving him with her elbows. He stumbled back against the wall, hitting his head. Then she held out her hands and let out a blood-curdling cry. If no one had heard them yet, they did now. The figment had done this. Damn her! Gods, how had he let this happen? He reached into his mind for the figment, but as she said, she was gone. Cora, listen to me, he said. We need to— Robin. It was Aunt C. Cora had stopped screaming, but tears were still falling from her eyes. Look at her hands. What was a web of blisters and cracked, burnt skin was now simply red and raw, as if she'd gone out in the cold too long. Cora looked as shocked as anyone, and her legs all at once gave out. She slid down the side of the wall, staring at her hands. How did... she asked. Not a summoner, said C., "'A healer. She turned to Emory sharply, jutting out her chin. She knew. She'd seen. Gods, what was she going to do? "'What did you see?' she demanded. Emory backed up against the wall, wet sweat swinging from every pore. "'I—I I didn't—' His heart was thumping in his chest, skipping every few beats just to add to the panic. But Emory could not answer fully, because he was interrupted by two abrupt gunshots resounding just outside— He reacted by falling to the ground and covering his head, but not before a huge, red-haired man kicked open the door with his foot. He took up most of the doorway and was dressed in a long, camel-colored duster. He had a long mustache, red as blood, and was smiling. "'Is everyone well?' he asked. He had a gun in his hand, a silver revolver, and he poked his head out of the stables a moment before returning again. "'I took care of the guards, and your friends told us your whereabouts. Good to see you again, Robin." He bobbed his hatted head. Gowen of Fenley, said Professor, bounding forward. The giant of a man leaned down and embraced her. Emory had never seen such a mismatched couple. Thank the gods for backup plans. We came as quickly as we could, said Gowen. Had a tough time, though. The area's crawling with hearts, not to mention a smattering of more oaks. We've lost a handful of young pages and Sir Cowper. He sighed, shaking his head. We knew from your note where to meet up. "'We were delayed, though, just a bit. "'So were you, though, by the looks of things. "'Gunshots rang out behind them, "'and Emery held his hand to his lips. "'Then a barrage of more shots, shouts, horses whinnying. "'Emery wiped snot from his nose with the back of his hand, "'then, in a panic, wretched. "'The oak doesn't like surprises, but the heart, "'they've got their lowland tactics. "'Hold tight, though. "'The guards at the door, the knight glanced at the door, "'and then at the stunned group of people before him "'and frowned slightly.' I've got to get through to Levely, but there's more men on their way to guard you. Din's got the front, Gresham's to the east, and I hope to the gods, rensman has got the west well enough. We came at him from all angles. He reached into his boot and pulled out two knives, then he gave one of his revolvers to Professor. Presuming they didn't leave you with protection, he said. He retreated. There was a shuffling noise as he explored the fallen knights, and then he produced two more guns. From our late guards, watch yourselves. We'll be back." "'And that was Gawain Fenley,' said Cora, staring at the door where the man just was. He had been gigantic. His presence was remarkable, so reassuring and confident. She'd all but forgotten about the strange goings-on until she noticed Professor leveling her gun at Emory. "'Professor,' she started. "'What are you—' But the little woman shot her a look as would wither a rose. "'Let me handle this,' Professor growled. Aunt C was next to her then putting her hands about Cora's shoulder. Let me see your hands. I'm fine, Cora said, trying to wiggle free from C. Cora, don't you realize what you just did? asked C. I-, I don't know, she said softly, trying to recall. It had all happened so quickly, and her dreams had melted into reality so strangely she could scarcely detangle the threads. I was dreaming that I had my hand in the fire, and I woke up, staring before the door. Then I... I saw my hands. I started screaming, but then I remembered. You remembered, asked Professor Hirsch, gun still in Emery's face. It was silly and a little childish, but Cora was beyond feeling in any way self-conscious for her explanations. Either way, she had done something remarkable. Flexing her fingers, the folds of skin felt a little tender, but not anything that would linger long. It was miraculous. I remembered my mother, she said softly closing her eyes. The vision of Estelle Gray had been so clear. In her terror, Cora had remembered an instance when she'd skinned her knee, and her mother had tended to her. With a little hot water and a bandage, she'd tidied up the knee. It still hurt, but by the end of the day, Cora had forgotten about it entirely. And when she removed the bandage that night, the wound was almost gone. She'd asked her mother, and her mother had insisted that she'd only been a quick healer, but now... Professor shook the revolver at Emory. "'Now you'll explain to me what in hells you were doing.' "'I... I was,' stammered the bard. "'I heard you talking, you long-legged excuse for a man. "'I heard you talking to yourself, muttering. "'You were watching Cora the whole time she rose and went to that door "'and nearly burned her hands off. "'So you tell me.' "'Professor,' Cora said. "'You hush!' "'But the barn is burning!' Cora shouted. "'She had gone to the door to take a quick look, "'and though the gunshots had retreated significantly,' an amber glow toward the north was growing at an alarming rate. She smelled smoke, too, and heard the frightened horses. It didn't take a professor to deduce that once that hay caught fire, they wouldn't have much time. She didn't know what Professor was getting at, but it would have to stop now if they wanted to find safety. This can wait, she insisted, and Professor frowned but agreed. Unless you want to roast alive in here. Of course not, Professor said. She looked "'Nervous,' Cora thought. Not an emotion Cora ever thought the woman had. "'I'll go first. See, take this gun. You go next. Then, Cora, take this one. Then the bard.' See, checked the ammunition in her gun and grinned. "'I hear you're a good shot,' she said to Cora. "'It runs in the family, of course.' The whole of the Vizina ranch was crawling with knights, and in the dark it was virtually impossible to separate the orders.' "'Cora noticed the red sashes of the heart well enough, "'as well as the gray dusters of some of the Order of the Oak. "'They had arrived when they'd been sleeping, "'but the only distinguishing characteristic of the asp "'seemed to be their lack of cohesion. "'Gowan had looked nightly enough, "'but Cora couldn't help but feeling a little disappointed "'that their order was so ramshackle. "'Hush!' said Professor, beckoning the group back. "'They had moved from the stables to the smithy "'and were peering around the corner into the proper courtyard.' a mounted knight fell in pursuit of another hitting the gravel with a sickening crunch the fallen knight however rolled cleverly and scurried to the side reaching for something at his hip and that was when cora saw the knight's hat fall off and a pair of long braids spill out the knight was no older than cora and a girl to boot likely she was a page cora froze watching the page the look on her face that gritty determination she'd never seen such a thing before the page rolled back and forth, dodging oncoming riders and bullets, her face coming into fuller view with the continued kindling of the stables. Though she wasn't pretty, there was something familiar about her face. Cora could swear she'd seen it before. "'Cora, move!' hissed Professor, taking her by the jacket and tugging her forward. But Cora kept watching. The girl didn't see what was behind her, but Cora did. A tall oaks guard—she guessed this by what looked like a silver gun—emerging from the side of the main building— with her in his sights. If she made contact, the girl's brains... She couldn't say what she thought. If she had, she wouldn't have realized what a catastrophically bad idea it was to interfere. Cora had spent most of her life practicing to shoot, true, but she shot bottles, not people. The last time she tried to shoot someone, it had still nearly ended in rape. But she broke from Professor and leveled the gun in her hands, aiming for the Oaks guard. The page saw Cora and mistook her for an enemy and started to aim her own weapon at her. Cora's mouth went dry, but she managed to shout, "'Get your head down!' The page obeyed, and Cora shot twice. The gun was so much smaller than what she was used to, but she was in close enough range that even in the dim light, the shot was true. Everything had fallen silent to her, all the din around her fading away, the sting in her hands only a distant memory. She watched as the guard crumpled and gurgled and was silent. "'You! Who in the hells are you?' asked the page, scrambling to her feet. "'A friend,' said Cora, running to the young woman and crouching behind her. She could hear the disgruntled mumblings of C and Professor, but she ignored them. "'Shooting with a corset on?' laughed the page, who was clutching her thigh. "'That's something I had never seen.' Cora glanced down at the page's leg. Blood was seeping through her fingers, flashing darker and redder in the flickering flame. "'What's your name?' she asked. "'Cora,' she said softly. "'Cora Gray?' said the page, almost laughing if the tears weren't falling so insistently. Yes, how did you... Professor had scurried forward now. Cora, let's get her back out of the line of fire, huh? And you too. This ain't safe. Together they helped drag the page to their post behind the smithy. She was gasping, and Cora noticed another blotch of blood growing at her hip. She'd been grazed by a bullet on the side of her face, too. God, she'd come so close to dying. More than once. But when they got back aunt Ste stood alone where's emery demanded professor went that way said aunt c gesturing to the wooded area behind her i couldn't give chase god damn it professor growled who's this asked aunt c lark starling said the girl groaning and then wincing pressing her hand down into her thigh though not for long with this bullet it needs to come out shite it's a geared bullet professor said "'Shot by the oak?' Lark nodded. She was white, her dark hair streaking the side of her face. Cora let Emory's disappearance bother her only for a fraction of a tick before she looked again to Lark. "'What?' Cora said, startling as more gunfire rang out nearby. Her mouth tasted like dirt. "'What's a geared bullet?' keeps moving when it gets into the flesh,' said Professor, leaning over and cutting at Lark's thigh with one of the knives. She peeled away the blood-stained leather and shuddered as it stuck to her palms.' Till it hit something major, then you're gone. Lark clenched her teeth and asked, How'd you know that? I invented them, said Professor. Bullets started ricocheting off the side of the smithy, splinters of wood jettisoning off in every direction, but Cora stared at Professor and couldn't find the right words. She thought of the birds and mechanical bugs that had lined her shelves in her workshop in Vell and wondered what horrors they had wrought. Cora... You watch her, Professor said, and started to strafe the side of the smithy, gun at the ready. Cora stared down at Lark. She was shaking from the pain of the wound, shivering as if she were cold. You can help her, Cora, said G.C. gently. I've got some whiskey, said Lark, in my flask. Pour it on, just dry, she whimpered. "Gods, God, it hurts. Cora noticed that Lark had a tattoo on the inside of her wrist. She was an older daughter. How in the hell's had But no, it wasn't the right time. Not now. I don't know. I don't know how to do it, said Cora. Think of what you thought of before, when it worked before. Close your eyes. Concentrate, said Aunt C. Lark was beyond questioning. She was trembling so much, her eyes fluttering as if she were about to seize. Taking the whiskey with raw hands, Cora poured a bit over the wound, and Lark convulsed, digging her hands into the dirt. She didn't think she had the strength to do this— Whatever she had done, however she had healed herself, had been some strange, reflexive response to extreme pain. She couldn't bring that about by just forcing herself to think of her mother. What was she thinking? But still. Cora placed her hands, palms down and gently, on the swollen skin beside the gunshot wound. She could feel the bullet inside, pulsing slightly like some horrific beetle that had bored its way in. A sudden concern for Emory distracted her a moment, but Lark's imploring whispers sent her into action. The page's hot blood spilled over Cora's fingers, and she closed her eyes. The cover of her eyelids brought to her to complete darkness, and she pressed ever so slightly, willing her stomach to still as she concentrated. "'You can do this,' said C from behind her. Cora heard the woman disengage the safety on her gun. She was ready to give up when something curious began to happen— Her hands started to feel warm, downy as if they were covered in soft fur. And then the darkness behind her eyes started to change. Suddenly she saw the outline of Lark's leg, and then further still to the veins and arteries inside, the very bones and muscles. It was not vision through her eyes, but vision through a kind of touch. She could feel what she saw. And there in the middle of it, she saw the cruel bullet. It had opened up, and was moving in circles, caught on part of her bone but making progress, just slivers away from a bright red artery. Every nerve, every detail was vivid with Cora's new vision, and though on some other plane of existence she could hear the continued fight around her, all was centered on Lark, this poor girl that for all intents and purposes could have been her. Cora moved her fingers slowly, gently descending into the wound. It had made a hole large enough for two fingers to fit through. With one hand, she continued pressure, and with the other, she progressed slowly. And when she could push her fingers no longer, she—well, she couldn't even explain it. It was as if she'd grown long, glowing vines on the ends of her fingers, warm and wiggling, and sent them further on. She wrapped them around the churning bullet, and then, somehow, extricated it. When her eyes shot open, she was holding the convulsing silver bullet in her hand. Best tie up the leg. Aunt C was saying, and Cora nodded wordlessly, putting the bullet down and removing her belt. She tightened it around Lark's thigh to prevent any more bleeding. Then she took the hem of her skirt, doused it in whiskey, and began cleaning the rest of the wound almost automatically. "'You'll need stitches,' Cora said, but even as she said it, she knew. No, the wound was shrinking. Lark looked down, her lips still trembling, and shook her head. "'God bless you, Cora Gray. Wait till Brick hears about this.' Cora heard what she said, but her mind made the connection very slowly. Truth be told, she was practically drunk on what had just happened. She felt as if her whole body were wrapped in gauze. But did you say Brick? she asked. Yeah, Brick. Brick Smithson. He's, He's one of us, said Lark, pressing her hands into the ground and dragging herself up closer to the smithy. He's back behind the lines, though. He... She licked her lips and shook her head. You'll see. He's... "'Alive? He's all right?' demanded Cora, her heart skipping every other beat. "'Oh, he's alive,' assured Lark. "'He—' But Lark did not finish, as the stables had just exploded, and fiery fragments of wood and metal rained down on them from above. Emory thought he'd managed to run far enough, but now he was thoroughly lost. "'What a stupid idea to run away!' but he was terrified then. Professor knew he'd done something, and how in the world was he to explain it without losing Cora's trust forever? No, this was better. Gods, he hated himself. The figment was gone, and he was standing in the middle of a copse of trees. Far off, he could see the amber glow of burning stables, and every once and again, the resounding barrage of gunfire could be heard. He could hear water running, though. Water, he thought. I could use a drink. Regardless of the quality of water he found, he kneeled down on shaky legs and cupped his hands, bringing the cool draught to his lips. He drank greedily, the cold water helping to regulate his temperature back to normal. He'd been running for so long, his face was still burning. That's when he realized he'd forgotten his instruments. The guards had taken them and likely stored them somewhere in the stables, which meant they were burning and... "'Turn around, and hold your hands out, in peace.' said a low, raspy voice. Emery whipped around, and as he did so, he almost lost his balance. He'd been so surprised he overcompensated and nearly tripped over his own feet. We've got some talking to do. You and me. The figure's mouth was a glowing ember. But wait, that couldn't be right. No, it was a sig, barely more than a stub. And as the man inhaled, the vivid orange cinder glowed, showing the gaunt, shadowed face and deep-set eyes. "'Who—who who are you?' asked Emery. Surely this was not another figment. That he couldn't handle. But there was something strange about the man. For one, he was nearly as tall as Emory and even thinner. And he had a pin on the lapel of his duster, something he couldn't quite make out. He exuded a strange pitch, a vibration. Emory could swear it was in the key of G.' "'The name's Lee Renman,' said the man, puffing out tendrils of smoke. "'And I've been waiting for you.' "'He was going to die.' "'Emory was surprised how little it frightened him. "'At least with death, he'd be free from the guilt that was spreading like a cancer through him. "'At least with death, he wouldn't have to love so much, to hurt so much. "'He could let Cora love as she wanted, without knowing how little she cared for him. "'You might as well get it over with,' Emory said.' putting his hands down. I wouldn't blame you. He laughed, and it sounded like coal being raked in the fire. I'm not here to kill you, lad. I'm here to help you. Help me, Emory said it, didn't ask it. The word sounded like a tenuous plea for help, but that's not what he wanted. He gritted his teeth. How in hell's can you help me, he asked. You don't even know. Emory Roy, bard of the Seventh Island, born on the Isle of Moor rattled off the man as if casually as if it were a laundry list something rumbled in the distance but emery did not look i've seen it all said the man removing the sieve from his lips and wincing i know what you are what i am what the girl is too maybe only one in ten but enough all over arena now people are waking up strange dreams strange songs running through their minds but more like one in a million is a summoner, a speaker, a seer. A speaker? said Emory, shaking his head. No, no, you don't understand. It's not me. It was— You've brought the darkness, Emory. But you ought not blame yourself so harshly. You come with me, and I can teach you restraint and control. And now that you're rid of the Presence, said Redman, gnawing on his lower lip, you can start to live again. How did you— It passed by here. Three times you've brought it to be, and the third time means it's freedom. Only the gods know where it'll go now. But for the moment, it's free, said Redman, And so are you. Emory exhaled sharply. His lungs felt as if they were burning. But why? Why are people waking up? Why is this happening? He asked. I could never do this before. It was just a bard. You were where it awakened, explained the knight. In Barnet, The same. I saw it there. Saw you there the first time. Your shadow. I heard the lingering chord. And you followed me. In a way. I'm with the Order of the Asp. We agreed to meet Professor here in case of any unusual circumstances, he said. Though I don't think they expected these unusual circumstances. I... No. No. Emory couldn't do this. He couldn't stand being around people any longer. He just wanted to vanish, to disappear. He couldn't face Cora again. And this man was insisting that he go back and do just that. How could he explain to them that he'd let that thing inhabit Cora not once, but twice? She would never forgive him, never trust him again. And living with that knowledge would be worse than death. He started running— but tripped within five strides. He heard the gravelly laugh behind him. <laughs> See, the way of it is said, Runman, is you don't have a choice. Well, a few podcast notes for the end of episode twenty-six. For obvious reasons, this was a really fun chapter to write because uh, all kinds of people are coming together and Sir Gawain makes an appearance and Sir Renman meets Emery and whenever that happens and you're writing a multi-point of view story it's just like candy. (laughs) I remember actually getting giddy the first time I wrote this chapter. Um, We're getting near the very end here. The big battle is is lining up and uh, sort of the the precursor to the fight. Um, Cora's. Experience with her own abilities uh, was rather interesting for me as a writer. I had totally expected up until that point um, that she sort of didn't have any powers, or if she did, they were sort of a different line altogether. And when the scene actually happened the first time, I really thought this would add a very interesting level or layer to her character development this ability to heal, sort of this almost in the, in my opinion, kind of like the coolest thing you could possibly do with superhero powers, (laughs) you know, make people better, magically make people better. And, um, where she goes with that in the next couple chapters and further is definitely important. And, uh, first draft exploration is always fascinating because you often think you're going in one direction and you actually get to the point and it takes you somewhere else all entirely. Um, I often say that Emery is a coward, and I think this chapter really shows how much of a coward he is. And I don't think he should judge him badly for it. I think a lot of us would make that decision, um, you know, avoidance rather than confrontation. And he clearly has a lot of feelings for Cora, and rather than deal with the knowledge that she doesn't love him back, he'd rather kind of disappear. But instead of killing him or having a way with him, which some people might do, I thought it would be even more uncomfortable to keep him in the story and to fish him back so Sir Renman will be in charge of young Emery from this point as to Brick's whereabouts you'll have to wait till the chapter after the next because uh, episode 27 takes us to chapter 24 which is in the belly of the beast which is back to Ellen and Sylvan and the rest of the folks at the castle so until then you will have to wait thanks so much for listening. Once again, I really do appreciate it. And I've had some great comments and feedback the last couple of weeks and hope to continue having these out in a timely manner so you can enjoy the rest of the book. Thanks so much for listening. I sure do appreciate it. Alderpod is written, produced, and performed by Natanya Barron under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 United States License.